Welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. My name is Beth Shank, Healthcare Sustainability Leader in Missoula, Montana. On the podcast, I interview nurses working at the intersection of health and environment. Today, I am speaking with Ellen Bannon, hospice nurse and environmental health advocate working with Healthy Air and Water Colorado after a career in Washington, D.C., working for Congress people and advocating for higher education. Most of the nurses I interview came to nursing early in their careers and found advocacy, education, or activism later. Ellen was an advocate and activist who later came to nursing. It is really interesting to hear her perspective. Well, welcome to the podcast. I'm really pleased to be able to speak with Ellen Bannon today, a nurse with a really interesting background. Welcome, Ellen. Hi, thank you, Beth. It's good to be here. Well, give us uh, a little bit of your background. You have a very interesting background that um, took you to nursing as a second career. Tell us about that. Sure. Um, So again, my name's Ellen. I live in Western Colorado. I'm currently a hospice nurse. Um, I did not come to nursing quickly out of college at a young age, even though I had a grandmother and a and also a cousin who were nurses and loved it. Um, I was really interested in the environment when I left college the first time and um, started working with a nonprofit group that helped college students organize around these issues to make change in their local communities. So I did that for several years, um, which kind of led to me getting more involved in policy change, both at the state level and then eventually I started working Um, in Washington, D.C. on higher education issues, uh, advocating for college students to make college more affordable. Um, So I did that both as a nonprofit lobbyist, but then I also went up to the Hill and worked on the Education and Workforce Committee on the House side uh, as a kind of expert, so to speak, on these issues. Um, But at some point, the kind of calling to work on the environment again came back, and I moved uh, back out to the West to Colorado and started working more on environmental issues, including climate change. And a lot of what I did on climate change was thinking about how to engage kind of non-environmental groups or non-environmentalists on this, although I did not work with healthcare professionals, but we thought a lot about working with ag and ranchers and the faith community and other people you wouldn't at the time would normally kind of associate with people who were believe that climate change was a really big issue that needed to be addressed. Um, But somewhere around that point, I started, well, I didn't start to have health problems. I kind of had, kind of have come to a kind of a head, so to speak, where I'd been having these issues and couldn't really figure out what was going on and and nothing super serious, but I spent a lot of time in hospital kind of quick visits to the hospital, talking to my doctors, trying to figure it out. I got really interested in healthcare, and I had several um, close friends and family members have issues, mental health, physical health, several people passed away. Just got really interested in, in how healthcare works and, and how this system kind of treats patients and looking at not just what happens when they're in the hospital or their medication list, but looking at their environment and their lifestyle and how to empower patients to kind of be healthier and to lead the life that they want to lead. And that ultimately led to me going back to nursing school and becoming a nurse. Interesting. And so um, you were an adult by then. You yeah. had already <laughs> a, a well-established worldview, um, though that can change, of course. 
uh, a lot of times nurses become nurses, you know, right out of college or right out of high school, really. And it becomes very formative. So that's a really interesting experience. How would you say that your your experience in nursing, both school, which can be kind of a shock, and your working years as a nurse, how has that influenced your uh, viewpoint, I guess, on health broadly and also on environment? Um, I think for me, mostly, it's very interesting how patients experience it. That's kind of the lens I tend to view it through. So I asked all of my patients a lot of questions. Um, in hospice, that doesn't seem so abnormal, but on the hospital, when you have six patients and they're trauma patients and you're, you know, just trying to get the basics done of shift, that probably seemed a little bit abnormal. But I was very curious, like, as to how, what people's experience was in the system and did they, did they feel equipped when they went home to to take care of themselves, to do better, to be healthier. Um, I think that was a little bit different for me. Um, nursing school was definitely a shock <laughs> to the system, but I also went through a program where a lot of people, it was their second career for, I wouldn't say half of the class, but a decent percentage of the class were a little bit older, had done other things first. So that I think um, that was a little bit normal, more normal when I went to school. Does that answer your question? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, we I'll, I'll often ask people when I interview them about why is it that environment is a nursing issue, and you've hinted at that. But how would is there anything else you'd add to clarify that? Why, um, you know, clearly it's important for health, um, in your from your perspective, I would say. But tell me, tell me more how you would interpret that statement. Environment sure. is a nursing issue. Well, I think even. Going back to Florence Nightingale, she would have said that, right? She talked a lot about people's immediate environment and their impact on their health. But in today, it's, you know, the air you breathe, the water you drink, the water you clean yourself with, the food you eat, which is impacted by your environment. You know, do you live close to a highway where there's a lot of pollution or do you live somewhere else with better air quality? These things have a huge impact on your health. And while they may not be always an acute, something acute, like acute asthma exacerbation, having chronic insults year after year after year after year end up building up a lot of times to something in the end, like whether it's lung disease or, you know, issues with your heart, something like that, or dementia, um, those have huge impacts on people. And I think you know, depending on what type of nursing you're doing, it's hard to see that, right? If you're in the hospital, it's a very acute setting. You see people a very short amount of time. Maybe if you're a nurse practitioner or you're working in a clinic and you see the same patients over and over again, even working in hospice, we have patients who are with us sometimes for a long time. And you can see when there's a lot of wildfires, for example, uh, which happen a lot in the West, and we happen to live in a valley where there's a lot of inversions and we will get a spike of calls and emergency visits when there are a lot of wildfires like there were two summers ago. And my patients will tell me they don't go outside. They don't open their doors. They're not using fans blowing air into the house. They can still tell the difference. They still struggle. You know, a lot of times you'll see patients who are kind of on the kind of I there's never any maximum quote unquote amount of 
medications you can be on for lung disease or COPD. But often people are kind of teetering towards like the edge of like what's available. And then they have this acute exacerbation because the air quality is so poor. And as a nurse, having to watch somebody struggle to breathe and watch their family also witnessing this, I mean, literally they cannot breathe. And there's not a lot you can do in terms of medicine. It's very difficult. So I think, you know, that's my personal experience as a nurse, but I think a lot of other nurses see this in different venues. Um. And think about advocacy. I'm really interested in your experience in the first part of your career. And have you had the chance to use that or are you interested in using that, I guess, uh, in terms of advocacy in nursing, um, education in nursing, organizing in nursing? What have you been up to regarding that? (laughs) Uh, I'm absolutely interested. I I think I've been, um, I haven't really done much on this the idea of healthcare polluting into the environment, although I'm very aware of that. Um, you know, here in Colorado, I, I remember kind of looking up, trying to figure out how like a lot of hospitals were powering themselves, and how much electricity they were using and thinking about the sources of that. Um, but what I have been doing is I've been working with a group here in Colorado uh, called Healthy Air and Water Colorado. And we, we don't necessarily look specifically at healthcare polluting in the environment, but I do use my organizing and advocacy skills with them. We are working to promote policies. Well, I should back up. I should say that Healthy Air and Water Colorado is an organization that is, um, it's a network of healthcare professionals across the state. We just were established in the past year. And the idea is to educate um, both the public and decision makers about the health-related impacts of climate change and pollution. Um, And so as part of that work, we have been, um, Colorado actually passed a law last year to significantly reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so we've been, there's a rulemaking that goes along with that that's been a little bit stalled because of COVID-19, but we've been working to help influence that rulemaking. And at the same time, as the legislature was in session, they went out because of COVID. They're actually back in session right now, finishing up. We're working on a couple of bills to reduce uh, toxic pollution um, in communities in Colorado. Um, I'm using kind of advocacy, um, going and meeting with decision makers, doing press work, organizing other healthcare professionals and folks to get involved. That's terrific. And um, are you in a leadership position for that organization or a member? Yeah, I'm a member. Um, I'm currently Mm -hmm. now a member. I actually worked for them um, Mm part-time, helping them to kind of figure out how to set up the group and and kind of how to reach out to people. Um, So I was nursing part-time doing that, Um, but I've gone, I'm, right now transitioning back into nursing full-time and just being a member. That's wonderful. We um, have a a similar but different organization in Montana called Montana Health Professionals for a Healthy Climate. And I think there are about, oh man, I don't know for sure, maybe 15 states that are using this approach that, you know, really trying to leverage the powerful voice of health professionals, including nurses, of course, who are the most trusted, Mm -hmm. um, to translate uh, some of these precursors of health uh, related to environment to the public 
and to policymakers. So that's great. And I bet your experience is very well appreciated having been familiar with lobbying and working with Congress. Tell, yeah. tell us a bit more about that experience from your your earlier career. Well, I don't know how it will sound, but I felt strongly that this is the one home we have and it's so beautiful and I love nature and that is kind of the way that I relax. You know, some people watch movies or get their nails done. I go outside and ride a bike or hike or go running and I just love being outdoors. And I saw a lot of uh, firsthand kind of examples of, you know, the environment not being that clean. Um, I went to school at Rutgers and there was in New Jersey and there's always kind of a joke about the river there, just not, not being like the cleanest place ever, um, you know, and having a fair amount of um, air pollution in certain places. And it just struck me that we could do better. And I loved, I really enjoyed working with college students because it was so wonderful to have them kind of identify a problem, something they wanted to work on, they didn't really know how to do it, to give them the tools to do that, to empower themselves, to make change in their own community. And the, the ideal would be, right, you don't really need somebody who's an organizer to stay in your community forever, because the idea is we empower people to see a problem, think about a solution, figure out how to run a campaign from start to finish, how to recruit other people, how to raise money, how to do press, how to go talk to decision makers, how to do it all. And so then next time when they need to do it, they've already learned, they know how to do it. You don't need to be there anymore, right? And then they go on and teach other people. And I think, um, you know, my advocacy work, the, the one of my most favorite things to do is to bring people, other people up, whether it's to the state capitol, in California, or it was in DC, is to bring other people up and to help them learn how to talk to their decision makers effectively, to educate them, to, to have an ask, to follow up, and also, like with anything in life, to just build a relationship so you get to know the other person, you build some trust, and hopefully have an ongoing conversation for years to come that really kind of benefits everybody. That's great. And it's also so empowering. And I heard, heard you say um, earlier about one of your interest is, interests in nursing is how to empower people to care for their health. Absolutely. I, I think, I mean, it's hard to remember sometimes what it's like to be a patient without having the healthcare background, but having gone to the emergency room so many times and not understanding how to navigate that system mm -hmm. or, you know, going to see a provider who maybe like my, my, primary care provider wasn't available. So I saw someone else. I told him I was having trouble sleeping. He's like, great. I'll write you a prescription for Ambien. I'm like, is that, is that the one where people like drive their cars when they're still asleep and like eat all this food in the middle of the night? I'm like, is there, you know, being kind of like, is there another solution and asking and, and kind of getting this answer back that I don't love in part because I don't really know this provider, but feeling awkward, like I shouldn't challenge, you know, it, not to be confrontational, but the end of the day, patients are clients, right? They're going to make their own choices. We give our best advice. We do the best we can for them. Um, and one of the things that we can do that's really powerful for people is educate them and help them understand how the system works and what are different options that they have. In the end, they're going to make their own choices, right? We might not always agree with those choices, but it's not our life, right? So 
we just need to give them the best tools possible to help them become healthy. And you see this, I remember in the hospital, people would come in for something different, but they'd be diabetic. And you'd ask them, has any, you know, has anyone spoken to you about this? Like what you can do to help yourself? Sometimes people say yes, sometimes people say no. And obviously there's so much going on when you have an acute, you know, injury or exacerbation or some reason that you're at the hospital. It's hard to remember what the educate all the education that we give people. It's very difficult. And sometimes we use too many medical terms and phrases. And, you know, I like to kind of keep things simple. But sometimes you can have a huge impact. And on this particular gentleman, we talked a lot about sugar intake. And he loved his sodas and he loved his um, Red Bull. And, you know, you just kind of pick one thing maybe that somebody could work on, one thing that they might be willing to do. He actually came back a month later. I don't remember why. It was a month or two months later. And he remembered me and told me that he had stopped drinking soda and that he had, like, started drinking flavored water. And I was so excited. I don't know if the other nurses would be, but I thought that was so awesome. Mm-hmm. You bet. So, so I'm just curious because you, you said you talk with your patients a lot and you ask a lot of questions. What have you learned from your patients about their perception of environment or, you know, you talked a bit about the air quality issues with wildfires. Is there anything else that comes to mind that uh, would help? I think, um, you know, in hospice, we have, I think, a little bit, um, I don't know if it's a better quality interaction, but we often are able to spend more time with our patients, which is one of the reasons I love hospice so much. And I would say that it's not always obvious to people what a huge impact some of these things have on your health. So the idea that if you're outside and you don't drink enough water and it's really hot outside and you cr- you keep doing that over and over again, that can lead to kidney damage, kidney stones. You know, um, the idea that if you live in a neck really close to a highway with a lot of traffic, that you potentially, because of the air pollution, that you're potentially at higher risk for developing dementia. Um, a lot of times that's they, these aren't necessarily the conversations that we have but sometimes this kind of this will get onto this path and i think people are often very surprised but after they think about it for a few minutes it, it's very intuitive and if i understand you correctly you said you were working on climate well before you were a nurse as, as well right mm-hmm. i did and so how tell me what your perceptions are about how either public opinion or your engagement with or people's perspectives about climate have changed over the years that you've been paying attention to it? Well, it's been about 10, 15 years. And I would say one, you know, when I first started working on this issue, there was a lot of, um, there were a number of people who just thought climate change wasn't real. So that, to me, that's probably one of the biggest changes it's accepted their science you know by and large a vast majority of people believe climate change is a problem and that we need to do something about it and that was not true you know 10 15 years ago um at the time i started working on climate change it was mostly young people who were interested and a lot of and i tended to work with college students so that's who i saw um now i think it's a much more diverse set of people um who are engaged 
you know, whether it's like agriculture or kind of uh, communities of color, the type, you know, people that we just hadn't reached out to 10 or 15 years ago, that's another really big change. And I think as I talk to other healthcare professionals, as I talk to decision makers, as I talk to kind of opinion leaders, there's this growing understanding that climate change also has a lot of health-related impacts. And by trying to address them and be preventative, we can save, kind of improve health, potentially save people's lives and save a lot of money that we're going to be spending on the back end when people have all of these health problems. And, you know, always when you're, when you're lobbying, when you're advocating, when you're asking decision makers to make choices, it's very helpful if you can save them money or be kind of conscious about budgets, particularly, you know, post COVID, a lot of states are really struggling. Um, it's always nice to kind of be able to point to this, you know, we can be cost saving, right? That might be long term. It's always easier for decision makers if you make it short term. But this, but again, still a very important part of of kind of what you're talking to decision makers about. When when I think of the some of the climate change impacts, they're different in these different areas, as as we know, because they tend to be regional and geographical and continental, et cetera. But I think of these gigantic storms and the after effect of hurricanes and windstorms and flooding in the Southeast compared to the wildfires, primarily wildfires and heat and, and also allergens in both places. But um, does that reflect your experience in terms of talking about people or thinking about policy related to climate and health? I think so, yes. Um, you know, I, I worked for Congress during the time of Katrina and I did go down um, we went down as staff and then we came, we, the impacts were so huge. And, and again, I was only working on higher education, but I, it was just such a huge, huge impact. We ended up telling the members they had to come down and do a tour and they needed to see what was happening. And I think that was a, a great, a horrible, but a great example of when these kind of huge extreme weather events happen, you know, that devastated that area. Um, the, the destruction was unbelievable. You know, you don't, I don't, I don't remember what the news coverage was in terms of visually showing it. You know, the quarter still looked about the same, so people could still come down for Mardi Gras, and they kind of largely skipped a lot of parts of New Orleans that were just completely devastated. It looked like a war had happened there, to be honest. And we will walk through the damage very specifically. Um, you know, my, my um, co-workers, my colleagues did a lot more on the K through 12 side because that's not the work that I did at the time. But I saw a lot of the damage of the colleges and kind of how that impacted everything. And then my co-workers, you know, had these stories about kind of how that impacted K through 12. And these students were, you know, they didn't have anything. Their homes had been kind of ruined. Their families didn't have any income. Their parents were out of work. They're working at these fast food places after school, like for really long shifts, coming to school, falling asleep in the middle of school. There's black mold. There's a lot of health care consequences, just so many things to unpack in that one event. And looking at the West, as I'm sure you know, we're in a chronic drought. 
uh, very long drought dry. There's a saying out here in the West, you know, whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. I'm paraphrasing greatly, but it is really a true thing out here. We, you know, having green Kentucky grass lawns is, is not a top priority out here because we just, drought's always going to be an issue for us. And as climate change, as as the weather patterns change and it is exacerbated, this will become bigger and bigger problem. And what we often see how that plays out is wildfires, particularly out here in the West. Um, and obviously the allergy seasons, like everywhere, they've increased, they've gotten longer, some places more severe. Yeah, we um, always pray for rain in the spring now because it has really changed our, our summers and falls. Yes, and, and where I live um, on the West Slope, it is uh, very hot in the summer, blazing hot. Um, and But even places like Denver, Friends I've known who grew up there, have lived there their whole lives, they tell me the weather's changed. It's gotten much hotter in the summer. They have less rainstorms in the summer. The climate's really changing a lot. And you saw that, like, you know, in the ski country, which here in Colorado and a lot of the West, that's a big uh, industry for our states and for our communities. They, they're, they're big money makers. Outdoor is a huge money maker in Colorado and a lot of the West. And bark beetle these winters where there's not very much snow, you know, the mountains can make snow, obviously, but those things really impact our local economies. They have a huge reverberation on the community. You bet. Yeah, tourism, particularly for agriculture and tourism are our big, big industries in Montana, and uh, both really, really feel it. Absolutely, and, and I, I didn't mention this, but agriculture is very big here in Colorado, and um, you know, so water, water is a big deal. And, and, you know, growing up on the East Coast, I didn't know what water rights were. I'm like, water rights? What are those? Mineral rights? <laughs> you move out West and you learn a lot. And, and it's, a, it's a big deal. And it's a big part of our economy out here in Western Colorado and a lot of other places. And these are orchards, farms, families who've been around for generations. Um, and, and, you know, interestingly, there was kind of some of the kind of first, what I would say, like non-traditional allies that maybe the environmental community would consider kind of at the time, slightly non-traditional, you know, 10 plus years ago, getting these communities involved and engaged was really important in that kind of how are we going to address climate change and pollution? And I think, um, you know, healthcare has been involved for a little while, but there, there are so many healthcare professionals. Healthcare is such a huge industry that if we really get involved, even just a certain percentage of us, and we really focus on this, we could have a huge impact on the outcome. Yeah, you bet. Um, I wanted to circle back to your uh, something you said, because you focused on higher education in when you were lobbying and working for Congress. Um, I read recently that I think it was in K through 12, actually in one state that they have mandated um, climate um, content. And we know of other states who are saying, you, you, you know, you can't use the words climate change or global warming and issues like this. I, one of the areas that I focus on also is in nursing education. So how um, prevalent is the discussion about climate change or environment at all, really? There's usually a mention of it in a community health course that may be one mention in four years. Um, but more, more, more and more, this is being included now because it's seen as this enormous public health issue that it is. 
Do you have any wisdom on that, having worked with, with higher ed from a policy perspective? Is that a, a, a feasible route to go to seek policy change to include climate? And also in your own experience as a nursing student, did were you exposed to climate education? You already knew a lot about it, but do you remember studying it? I don't remember studying it. You know, I'm not saying that it wasn't mentioned, but if it was, it was fleeting. Um, I, you know, it's an interesting question about the policy. I think one place that we could look to is some of the medical schools in the country. Um, and because I'm in Colorado, I will just mention CU Anschutz, the School of Medicine. They, uh, I don't know that this was a top-down thing. I know that there were several professors who were very interested in climate change, you know, worked in the emergency departments, worked in their hospitals, saw that there were very real impacts on people's health. And so they, um, you know, a number of different folks got together and, and created a, a group that focused a lot on climate change and, and public health. But then out of that, the School of Medicine actually runs, it's an elective course, I believe, for their uh, students on the health impacts of climate change, which is wonderful. Um, but I think if you really want to see real change, right, if there are questions on the NCLEX that were related to climate, that would that would dictate that schools would have to teach that curriculum. And, you know, to my knowledge, the CU nursing school, I don't know that they've added it to the curriculum. Uh, they may have, I don't know. But that's, I think, one kind of interesting path. If if the, the boards for all of these different licensures are teaching, you know, there's questions, then the schools need to teach to that. Well, there are there is a group in Annie, Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments, that is working on that very thing. Now, they've been working on it for a long time. I worked on that earlier as well uh, in terms of trying to um, have one or two only questions included on the NCLEX because that, uh, you know, the, the group thought that was a uh, feasible path, or at least it could push a little bit in terms of uh, what nursing schools include. And, you know, we all know that nursing schools are already jam-packed. It's an incredible amount to learn in four years. And, sure. um, you know, some choices would have to be made. Yes. And, but I, I think there is some room. And, I you know, I think one hurdle often is just, wow, it's like new curriculum you have to then develop, right? But I do think there are these places, CU Anschutz, Harvard, there are, there are some places that have developed this curriculum. Like, why not borrow from there, um, you know, at CU, there was an interdisciplinary course that was required. So the nursing, pharmacy, physical therapy, medical students, we all took a course together. And to me, that would be, you know, that's a possibility. That might be a, a place um, where you could put content in. Um, I think probably a little bit harder to get the hospitals to move on this, but, you know, Grand Rounds, continuing education. Obviously, there's a fair amount of continuing education offered, and um, Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments had some posted up on the website, so you can go there and take that. Um, but I think there are some ways to institutionalize it, and if, and if hospitals and kind of these bigger medical facilities are serious about it, they can put that into their rotation of continuing education credits. You know, you, you remember when you worked in the hospital, they sent you an email oh, no, you have to do my continuing education, right? I better get it done. In hospice, ours, it works a little bit differently, but we actually 
um, usually about once a month, have an in-person education. Interesting. So I'm just curious, how did you get plugged into Annie, the Alliance? Uh, I was looking around trying to figure out, I knew someone was already working on these issues. I just didn't know who it was. So I found the website. I contacted Kara, tried to figure out what's going on. Um, and, and that's pretty much how I did it. Yeah. Good. Um, so oftentimes I'll ask people what, um, what motivates you for this work? You've, you've already addressed this a little bit, but is there anything you would say that helps you to continue to, even though you're, you're really in a new career and you're focusing a lot on the care of individual patients uh, in hospice, which is fabulous work, you also have your eye on environment. How, how do you keep those two directions going? What motivates you to, to also be, um, to be involved in both? Well, I think, I think you really can't divorce the environment and your lifestyle and the choices you make, whether it's the food you eat or the company you keep or the water you're drinking or the air you're breathing, those can't be divorced from your health. They have huge impacts. And so to me, there's not really a boundary line drawn there, but I also believe that climate change has huge implications on health and that this could become a, you know, it's really is already a, a huge health crisis. Probably not easy for a lot of people on the outside to see, but we're definitely moving in that direction. And much, you know, think about COVID just the past few months, it's not like the healthcare community has never seen an infectious disease spread and we have experts everywhere, but even that was very difficult, right? That There are a lot of growing pains. We're still going through that. That was, we did not nip that in the bud in the first 30 days and we're, we're going to be living this with this for some time. Well, climate change isn't that dissimilar. It's It's already happening. It's just that it's so integrated with so many other things, where you live, how much, you know, your socioeconomic status, your access to healthcare, um, your, your genetics, there's so many different things playing in. So it's not to say that climate change has suddenly caused all of the lung disease and, you know, all of the COPD and all the asthma exacerbations. No, but it's added insults that have kind of tipped a lot of people over into kind of having something that's moderate into something that's more severe. And when you work in healthcare and you start to think about what a hospital stay costs overall, both for the patient and the system and taxpayers, and you think about how much it costs to intubate someone, very expensive, very expensive to have somebody in the ICU for a day who's bearing those costs. And also it's not a good experience. We don't want patients having this experience. That's not healthy. And if those things are happening because it's getting really hot outside and this person doesn't have access to air conditioning, or they don't have the right medications, or they're not, they don't have a regular primary care provider. So they kind of, they kind of go from huge exacerbation, huge exacerbation using the emergency room as their only health care. This has a lot of implications for not only the patient, the providers taking care of them, the kind of, but really overall the system. And I just think we can do better. Yeah, here, here, because what, 
what you just described for an individual is happening to thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people, and especially those who are more vulnerable. Absolutely. And it, and the thing is, it doesn't have to be, right? Mm-hmm. We can significantly improve this. If we pay attention, if we decide that this is a priority, we have a lot of the resources, we have the technology, we know how this is going to play out because we've had so many of these patients and we've seen so many iterations, we really can improve the quality of people's lives and save a lot of money on the back end. So if you were to give a nurse some advice on how to do that, what would you say? You, you, are, you are clear-eyed about this. What would you recommend or what advice would you give to other nurses? Well, I, I think the first thing I would recommend is, you know, if there's a local group that's working on this, get in touch with them. I would definitely go to the <clears throat> uh, Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments website. There's a lot of great um, resources and you can take action like right away immediately on the website. You can sign up to be part of the nurses um, climate change. You can get on monthly calls that are about climate change and nursing and just learning how to educate yourself and educate your peers is a great first step because I go, I think a lot of people don't equate climate change with health related problems. And yet there is a very quickly growing body of evidence that there are some serious complications, cardiac, pulmonary, renal, the list goes on. Um, so that's kind of first step. If you're here in Colorado, you should obviously check out healthy air and water, Colorado. We, we do a lot of, um, advocacy work and education in the public and the press. Um, so those, I think, are two two great starting points. That's terrific. And I'm sure those are, those are helpful, helpful because I'm very often asked, well, how do I get started? And um, those are great, great ways in. So thank you for sharing both of those. Well, Ellen, this has just been really interesting. You, you bring um, an educated perspective about advocacy and about systems thinking and about driving change that is refreshing. And it's been nice to talk with you. Is, is there anything else you'd like to say today? Uh, well, thank you. Um, thank you for having me. This, is, this has been great. Um, I think I, I would just really recommend that people go to the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments website. Check it out. I, there's so much great content on there. Even if you think, I don't have enough time, how am I gonna make a difference? 15 minutes a week, 15 minutes a month sometimes can make a huge difference when we look at this kind of collectively. You know, if 100 people are doing 15 minutes a month or 1,000 people or 100,000 people. And then the other thing I would just say is is never underestimate um, the, the power of a nurse to impact someone, whether it's an individual or a whole state legislature. I forget this a lot, but I do hear it from my clients and other folks. We have huge impacts on people's lives. And I think you alluded to this before, we've been polling consistently as the most trusted profession in America. And I think because of that, we're very uniquely situated to help drive the policy to help improve health for people where it's related to the environment and and almost have a moral obligation to do so because of of how much respect our profession carries. That's right. Go nurses. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, Ellen, thank you for spending the time with me today. And it's been a pleasure to get to know you. Oh, thank you. Right back at you. Thanks a lot. Thank you again to Ellen Bannon. Her words are a wonderful reminder of the value of nursing as we work intimately with people in all phases of life. It was helpful to hear Ellen describe how she weaves advocacy into the care she provides with both individuals and statewide organizations. Thank you all for listening today. This and other episodes of the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast can be found at envirn.org. And please leave a review for us wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next time.